Stand and Deliver. Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with me, Rodders. It's a show all about comedy. Uh, my life as a comic, uh, so you hear me chatting to comedians uh, that either I've met on the road, out and about on my gigs, or, uh, well, I'm also the promoter of the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club up above Smoking Billy's in Reading. And uh, some of the people we chat to have uh, performed there. In fact, most of the guests are on, on the show have performed at my comedy club. Uh, we run shows every second Thursday. I'll tell you more about uh, the next show that's happening there uh, in, in just a bit. Uh, but I, I knew I wasn't going to do a podcast for quite a while because I disappeared to Japan for two weeks on a trip, which it's, it's amazing. Honestly, if you can go, go. It's just amazing. It's like a parallel universe because it's... A lot of it is mega modern, but then they have all these amazing traditions, and uh, it's just it's just very interesting. And they're they're really thorough. They think about everything. Uh, for example, um, on the just an example, the they're famous for their we know how modern their toilets are. Uh, but another sort of innovation they have uh, ATMs. There is a a holder for your coffee that also holds doubles up as a holder for your walking stick brilliant like just these little things they have such amazing attention for, for detail there's another strange little japan fact um you're not allowed to smoke on the streets a lot of the pavements have no smoking signs all over them as so you see a lot of japanese uh, people uh, sort of hiding in alleyways like naughty schoolboys smoking by like behind the bike sheds uh but it's fine to smoke in the vast majority of restaurants and they do that brilliant thing that they, they, they what well, they used to do in this country uh where they have seats that are non-smoking or smoking next to each other and of course the smoke has no consciousness so it doesn't know where to stop um speaking of japanese toilets i'll have to get this anecdote out of the way um we had uh, on we, we traveled all sorts of places and uh, our last few days we spent in tokyo and uh we were looking up a website which was uh, top 10 free things to do in tokyo and one of them was go to uh the toto uh toilet company's showroom and uh and have the free coffee and i looked at my mate james who i was traveling with i said should we do it and we kind of laughed and then we actually went and did it um and yeah we we went into this hugely uh like very very posh swanky office building walked to the reception asked where the showroom was they kind of smiled and smirked because they they must be kind of used to tourists doing this and uh, we went to a bathroom showroom we were greeted by a very polite japanese lady who at first apologized for not being able to speak any english and then in fluent english uh described the layout of the the uh, showroom in minute detail but was too polite to to mention the word toilet so uh, she uh i said oh so what's in that department oh she goes oh bathroom things (laughs) brilliant and um we weren't the only idiot tourists in the bathroom showroom um there was a german gentleman we bumped into and uh, he was looking at a toilet in wonder and he just goes ah look this toilet costs two thousand pounds these japanese are crazy and then he ran across the room took a photo of a urinal and then left (laughs) oh it's brilliant um and 
uh, and then my friend James uh, looked at a there was a, a group of people walking around, and he goes, "Oh wow, look, they're they're, they're getting a guided tour." I said, "James, that's the shop assistant. <laughs> they're trying to buy. Uh, they're trying to sell them a bathroom. This is an actual shop. It's not actually a toilet museum." Um, but yeah, the Japanese toilets they are brilliant. They they can wash you. They can all do all sorts. Um, very very innovative. And so that's why that was one reason for the podcast being delayed. The other one is, and you might notice a difference in the sound quality. I'm having to record this on my portable recorder. I record my uh, interviews on uh, my laptop has given up the ghost boot device not found luckily it's under warranty so it's currently uh, um, having its guts examined by an engineer somewhere so yeah it's really real right pain i'm gonna have to go to uh, the place where my day job is uh, to use a computer to edit this um oh well never mind uh, i will not let such a thing stop the podcast our guest today is Nicole Harris. Uh, she has performed at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club twice. Uh, she was um, uh, one Jewish comedian of the year, and she's just very exciting because um, she's just mad. Uh, she she's very very energetic, very very high energy, um, and does an awful lot of improvisation. And uh, so we talk a lot about um, how improvising in comedy works. The podcast is also, I didn't realise this was happening, we're developing into a kind of like a uh, an MTV crib style thing. So I, I keep going to people's houses to record podcasts. I went to the uh, lovely Mather Manor to meet Catherine Mather. And uh, I met Nicole Harris in her absolutely pristine flat. It looked like a showroom flat and it looked like it hadn't been lived in it was so amazingly clean uh, so you'll hear about that um but i thought i'd, I'd just tell you about uh, some rather interesting gigs i've been doing last night i performed uh, well at a well not a comedy event but a science event this this nationwide um science thing called a pint of science and the format was as follows um a science lecture on I think food and microscopes or something, and then me doing fifteen minutes of stand up, followed by my comedy comrade Lucas Jolson, who came on stage in character as Alfred Nobel, um, and it was really interesting. And they had they had seventy odd people in the room. Trouble is, the room itself very difficult for comedy. Um, seventy people sat at various different benches tables spread out everywhere so instead of kind of one audience you had about seven so it kind of had the vibe of an office christmas party minus all the drunkenness and bad behavior uh there was a lot of phd students in a lot of professors and uh considering they weren't really they were there for science not really there for comedy they were really nice but it was quite a tough gig and also, I, the first thing I did was acknowledge that it was a bit odd me even being there because I know nothing about science. I, I'm a philosophy graduate. Um, metaphysics, yes. Uh, physics, no. Uh, I'm also enumerate, discalculate. But so the first thing I did, I, I, I told him, I, I just admitted, I faced up to the fact that it was really odd me being booked because the only science experiment I've ever done is uh, lighting the gas tap in the laboratory at school and the result of that experiment was detention. Um, so, so I kind of faced up to the, the, the fact that I was just a very peculiar uh, uh, booking. I think I even told them I was out of my element, which I thought was, uh, it got a groan uh, from a portion of the room, but I was very pleased with that, with that pun. Um, <laughs> I, I shouldn't congratulate myself too much, but I'm going to congratulate myself on that. That was a, that was a solid pun. 
Um, pro- probably for the best. So yeah, that was that was an, an interesting one. It's probably time we heard from our guest today. It's Nicole Harris. We talked about all sorts of things, including improv in comedy. Uh, are bookers a little adverse to booking acts who improvise a lot because they don't see them as a safe pair of hands? Are uh, what are the pitfalls and risks of being an improv comedian? Uh, we, we talked about a spotless apartment, and we also had a really interesting discussion in how and why uh, Nicole ended up doing stand-up comedy in French. Uh, It's very interesting that. So this is Nicole Harris. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. It's the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. I'm with Nicole Harris. You all right? Yes, thank you. Good. Nice to see you. Yeah, you too. It has been a little while. Usually this this, uh, podcast is... Normally recorded in the back rooms of pubs <laughs> and in uh, sort of the backstage areas of little theatres and things. But the last two, I went to Mava Manor, which is Catherine Mava's oh, yeah. place. She has a uh, uh, a stuffed magpie in her bedroom. That is, that is exciting. <laughs> and now we're in your lovely apartment. I mean, it's. Thank you. Th- I was worried to take, like. Th- I was worried about even being in here. I'm cluttering that because I, I've never seen anywhere so tidy. Well, you're lucky I'm actually letting you sit on the sofa. It's <laughs> a special treat. Most of my guests have to sit on the floor so they don't ruin the sofa. Oh, yeah, I am a bit OCD about my flat. But I'm glad you like it and welcome. And I've made you a nice cup of tea to make up for it. So, Are you always this tidy or is it just because it's your own place? Because I, I know some people that when they live with their parents, they didn't give a stuff, threw stuff everywhere and like never tidied their bedroom. But the yeah. minute they get something, it's theirs. So they're like, oh, now I'm house proud. I, I think it's because it's my own place. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite tidy, but I've never, I've, since I had my own place, I've never been that tidy. Uh, I had a boyfriend once and uh, this was before I moved before I got my own place and uh my my, we were chatting to my mum and he was like saying oh I really like Nicole because she's like she doesn't stress about like tidiness or because this is before I had my own she doesn't stress about she's really cool and laid back and my mum said and I was like yeah that's what I'm like my mum's not like that she's more OCD and my mum said I know Nicole wait until she gets her own place and I was like, no, that's never going to happen. As soon as I got my own plates, I'm like, don't sit there. Don't put that there. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I am a bit obsessive. But it's nice though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. It's lovely because you never know what to expect when, when, you, when you are invited into someone's abode. And this is uh, incredible. It, it beats uh, my hovel in Reading, as, as affectionate as I am about it. Um, but that, we should probably talk about comedy. But how long have you been doing comedy, roughly? Uh, about three and a half years. Just like... Just a bit over three, yeah, coming up to three and a half years. And had you done any performancey stuff beforehand? Sanctioned showing off, as I like to call it. Before starting comedy? Yeah. Uh, no, actually. I'd never done any... I'd never, ever done, like, any acting or any anything before I started comedy. That's surprising. Yeah, why am I... Do you think I'm like an actor? Well, you're, 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 like, incredibly out, outgoing and outgoing and loud... But I guess maybe that's maybe you didn't feel that maybe you could just I mean, be loud without the need for because you get yeah. I guess you get you actually get a lot of introverts being actors because so that's their little sort of release because they can play a character maybe you just didn't feel feel the need. Well, I was well. I've always been loud, <laughs> <laughs> even without a stage. So I've always been kind of like loud, like maybe like with a group of friends, like you know, maybe at parties or, I don't know, you know, in a social setting, I reckon I've always been 
kind of a bit outgoing and loud. <laughs> but your mates weren't surprised when they when you took no, the stage. No, no, no. So I, I think because I'm like, I think I'm quite similar. On there's people, some comedians are different on stage, off stage. Mm. I think I'm quite similar on stage <laughs> to how I am off stage. So I don't think there were any great surprises there. No. Some people really have to work really hard at that. It's something I try and be the same on and off, and I find it really, really difficult. I guess maybe it's the more you think about it, the harder it is, whereas if you just go on and... Yeah, it's just about yeah, being in the moment, I think. For me, for me, I think that's the most important thing for comedy at the moment for me is trying to be always stay in the moment, be in the moment. And then all the rest of the stuff goes out the window and then you just, it just sort of kicks in if you can do that. But that's something that takes time to develop and practice and things like that. That's when I'm having most fun when I'm kind of in it and I'm not thinking about anything else. And those sets go really, really quickly, but there's so much to distract you. Like half the time I'm, I'm, I'm back timing. So I don't overrun. I'm hoping I fit my last joke in. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to work out what the, what the audience are thinking. I'm trying to remember my material. There is a lot of like multitasking in your head going on in the sense of you might be thinking about you're trying to read the room so you're trying to think like you sometimes you've got to adapt when you're there because you think oh this is not working or whatever so you've got to change the jokes that you were planning on doing Mm. um and you've got you're sort of observing the audience whilst thinking about that whilst thinking about timing and stuff like that that's all going on at the back of your head but I think you can still do that. That's the skill. Like, I think you can still do that and stay in the moment as much as possible. So, like, I get distracted as well. You see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah the, the, the front row are always interrogated or something always happens. There's always an incident. Yeah, you've seen my set, so I'm not like... No, I'm... I've seen a bit of your set and I've seen you go off on you've one. You've never seen my jokes. I never get to them. But that's... I think I've watched you a few times. I think if I pieced together all the performances in my mind, I might have seen one incomplete set. <laughs> one joke. But I guess it doesn't matter, does it? Because the audience don't know your set and they don't know how you perform. So they're just seeing something. It's only comics that know, oh, we've got a set. Maybe, maybe we don't look at it in the same way audience members do. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I mean, I don't really like doing jokes as much, if I'm honest. Like... I prefer it if something else happens in the room and I can just run with that. So, like, if I've I've got my jokes, I've got, you know, that I work on and everything like that, everyone has, but if something else happens in the room that's funny or that you can get something out of, then I'd rather go with that than the jokes. And for me, that's, that's really being in the moment. That's really doing, like, live comedy. It's not yeah. necessarily what all acts want to do necessarily because some sometimes you know people put you know people put a lot of work into writing material people put a lot of work into honing their material so often they actually want to do their material whereas I'm not as you know I don't mind as much if I don't do my material I'd rather something happen and I could run with that 
it's I enjoy that more. Right, but it's, uh, yeah, some acts get frustrated when they can't get all their jokes out because something happens. But then I guess the, it's it's more it's more authentic just to embrace it. But it's not like yeah, I'm the opposite. if someone I'm... hasn't seen you now, they, they but it's it, it, they the way you're talking. It's not like you don't write though. No, I write all. So you the do. Time. So you do write. It's not like because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's I think people who ad lib a lot. I think there's a I think people sometimes think oh it's just because they can't be bothered to write. And sometimes that's true. When I do most of my ad libbing, it's because I haven't written anything, <laughs> or I do the I do the writing part on stage. I'll ad lib something on stage. Yeah. I'll write it down verbatim. Then I'll try and memorize it. Then I'll try it again. Yeah. And now I'm trying to be disciplined and actually sit down and, and write more. So so at the same time, you'd rather chaos happen. Yeah. But still, you sit down and you actually write stuff. There's like, oh, yeah. so that's quite, quite two I, very different things going on. Yeah, I think there's a myth. Like, I don't know how other, like, I don't know how other comics who sort of do a lot of ad-libbing improvisation do it. Right? I, I just don't know. But for me, I can't, I wouldn't be able to do, in a, I'm talking about in a set, not when I'm emceeing. That's a little bit different. But when within a set, if I come on, I wouldn't be able to, do the ad-libbing improvisation stuff if I didn't have my material so I have that up my sleeve always I um I write a lot I write all the time and I it's not necessarily always funny but I, I try and sort of write as much as possible then I'll do I'll use new material nights to, to test it to hone it like all other comedians mm. to get the material as good as possible so if I use that material, then I've got it and it's as good as I can make it. But if something else happens in the room, I think, who was it that said, was it Bill Hicks that said something like material is is only there in, as a backup and if nothing more interesting happens. And ah. that's sort of how I look at it, you know? Like, I'd rather be in the moment and go with something funny that's happening in the room um, and some. And you know, pe- people generally like that because they can kind of see that it's. In well, it's, the like, it's exciting. It's the advantage yeah. of live TV. That the, the advantage of t- comedy that isn't on the t- TV that's in a yeah. room of a hundred or less, and anything is sort of allowed to happen. Exactly. Whereas, like stuff on TV, a lot of f- stuff just isn't allowed to work or just wouldn't work. I seen you've been doing comedy in French. Like, oh yeah. Do you half French or no? Just, no. just happen no, to just, speak it. I just speak French. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just not. It's just I was just born with it. No, I'm kidding. I don't. I wasn't born with speaking French. I learned French, yeah. and then I worked really hard. I had this thing in my head where I really wanted. I learned it at school, mm. and then I stopped. And then I had this thing in my head where I really wanted to like really properly learn French. So I put myself back into it, and I really immersed myself. And then I lived in Paris as well. For a year and a half, so I learned. I speak lots of French there. Speak lots of French. Wouldn't speak English with anyone. Like refused to speak English. Wow. What? Did yeah. Just just because you wanted a challenge, or you particularly yeah. like the country, or both, or? Uh, no, because I just I love the I I wanted a challenge. I love the language. I think the language is beautiful, and I'd learn learn started learning it at school. So I had a really good base. Like I mean, I started learning it. I don't know how come I ended up going to school where they started teaching French at like six or seven or something to the kids so I had like a a good base and then I did it at GCSE and then I stopped and then I went back to it and I just think it's a beautiful I wanted to learn a second language and I already had that so I thought let's do that and I just think it's a beautiful language so doing comedy in French though was that like a sort of a a target like oh if I can speak well enough to do comedy and it, I just want to know, is there stuff in French, types of jokes that work better in French 
because of the way the language is and all that because because British seems to be well, I've got the language wrong English <laughs> I can't even speak me a language English seems to be it's really good for puns because there's a hundred every single word is about a hundred synonyms there's loads yeah. of weird uh, grammatical things that you can play off so it is and there's some things that are better in French well I interesting I had this discussion last night with with a comic because I did a French I did actually did a set in French last night I haven't I haven't done many f- sets in French. That was only like my second, um, and I what I did was I I I, I translated the jokes, and I fr- there are some jokes I think work less don't work as well when you translate them into French. And I learned that from the first time I did it. So I didn't use those jokes. The ones that I translated into French I f- thought worked well, and some of them did. They did work well. They but there was there was one joke. There's one joke I have that is weird because from the first time and the second time, I'm sure it works better in French, <laughs> which is just I wouldn't have thought that. So there's some jokes that work better in French, and there's some jokes that work better. Is there any rhyme or reason? Is it is it one-liners that work better I in French, or a type of was it a type of humour? Because there is different humour for different places. Yeah. Well, I I did I did a I last night I was. Please, because I also... Listen, the thing is, all you can do is be yourself. Mm. It's it's back to the first thing that we were talking about that drives me and I think... Well, it drives me is like trying to be yourself, be in the moment on stage. And it's the same, I think, if you're doing a set in French, you know? I mean, obviously... Is your ad-libbing hampered a bit by the fact it's a second language? Is yeah. It, does it, is it like you're having to slow down and, and think more and then suddenly the moment's gone so it doesn't yeah. work as well? It, that just... It sounds really scary. So last night I was like... I I, 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 rehe- I rehearsed my jokes like in... I'd been... I met up with a French friend before who was on, on the show and we were going through like... Do I say this? And... Uh, and I thought, you know what? And I even said, like, I'm not going to do any ad-libbing. Like, I'll just do the jokes because it's in French. <laughs> and right? then what happened? <laughs> that didn't happen. So, <laughs> so I did some ad-libbing in French, right, which was quite, I was quite pleased with. But there were one or two points at which I'm sure, at which I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to stop here. Whereas I'm sure I think if it was in English, I'd have probably gone further with that ad-libbing uh but I didn't I just kind of stopped and then did did the next joke um, you must be pretty good at speaking it if you if you can ad-lib and and go off piece of it and and mess around were you doing crowd work with it yeah yeah so I was talking to I mean I'm all right yeah I mean I um I I I, I guess I used to be a lot I guess yeah I used to be maybe more fluent but I practiced I kind of keep, I try and keep it up. Mm. So just like talking French to like people here and stuff like that. So I guess I'm that's the right. best way being know, being conversational, French. isn't it? Because if you're actually talking to people, because there's one thing learning it, but then knowing how they actually speak. Oh, it's complete. Because <laughs> I, I, I bet there's like I suppose with English there'd be all sorts of slang and all kinds of maybe they speak a bit faster. Because that's the first thing anyone says who's learning any language. Like, oh, don't they speak fast? Because your brain hasn't yeah. tuned into it yet. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, and sometimes they still speak too fast for me. Like, there was a comic last night who was, every single time I see him, I'm just like, what the... I, he just speaks too fast, right? But most of them I'm okay with. Um, but then um, learning a language is 
is very similar to like what I was saying is being it's about being in the moment and um not thinking about it I know you want to think about it but like trying to get your subconscious to absorb relying trusting that your sub your subconscious is kind of learning and is picking things up obviously you've got to pay attention but the way I tried to learn it I mean I did learn it at school so I did like the grammar and stuff when I tried to do it in Paris was trying to like almost let my subconscious absorb that like absorb you know so like I wasn't going oh how do you say that and it's the same with the pace at which people speak even though like I used to listen to the French radio and just understand nothing because it's very fast but in my head I kind of like did it as like a bit of a meditation thing and I said don't worry about not understanding it just try and understand the rhythm of it so at least you're used to hearing the the, the sounds, the I guess. The sounds, and then eventually you start to hear little words out of this. It takes time. It takes a, a practice. You have to be consistent. But yeah, and then eventually, but not that I'm not that I'm like brilliant or anything. But you know, eventually you start to understand. Did you gig when you were in Paris? No, not, not at all. I wasn't even doing comedy you, you, then. Are you going to go back and do do some? Because I wonder what the what the circuit's like. Whether they have uh, lit yeah. tight ten or whatever, uh, and like I you have to have uh, what, what would French for bringer be or whatever? I don't, I don't know. know. I did. Uh, I did actually go to Paris and do a gig in English. Ironically, really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well done. I know it's great, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, it's fun. But my major. I mean, the majority of my uh, stand up is in is in English. Like I just sort of do it. That's a great challenge, isn't it? I, I do yeah. kind of admire that because it adds another layer of complexity. Did did it feel like you'd almost gone back to your fifth or sixth gig or something when you were, or did it not? No, not re- no, not really. Um, no, because I think, funny enough, when I lived in Paris, it was before I did comedy, and for some reason, I but I've always want I'd always wanted to do comedy. And when I was out there, I had a, a little sort of vision of me doing stand-up in French. And I really wanted to do it, but I didn't know how to do it, didn't know how to get into it. And last night I thought of that and I thought, wow, that's kind of, that is that is something like that I've, that I've done it. But I think it wasn't really like my first or second year because I translated the joke, so it wasn't like new material. And also I think when you've got, when you've, like it's all about stage pre you know being on the stage so when you so and i guess that's universal no matter what I language like so, you could yeah. you could you could go i could go to a french show and not understand anything but there'd probably be certain things i'd laugh at and i'd i'd, I'd know who had been going longer yeah. just by their demeanor exactly i just think it's about the demeanor the way you are on stage and that comes with time and gigging a lot and getting a lot of stage time which then i think kind of translates a bit to if you're just doing it in a different language obviously as you say you can't always know if the jokes are going to hit in the same way because of the fact that it's just it's just different in the the translation can't be exactly word for word so little nuances or whatever might hit more or they might hit less you know so um but I'd already done it I had as I say I'd already done it once at one of Ariel's nights so I kind of had that experience as well and uh, yeah I just think it's like again trying to be in the moment as much as possible and just 
being on stage as much as possible and then that kind of helps I think but you know there's good gigs and bad gigs who knows the yeah, next whatever French language uh, bombing yeah. is universal exactly. isn't it <laughs> like, who knows what the next French gig will will bring it, no yeah, one knows. No, it's, it's, it's very interesting. With you going back to ad libbing and stuff, do you prefer yeah. emceeing to doing a set? Because sometimes I, I love emceeing, especially if it's if it's not a night where there's tons of people on the bill. Yeah. My, my ideal situation, if, I've, if I'm given 15 to 20 to play with at the top, I've got time right. to do all the TV presenter stuff of reading the rules, <laughs> and then I've, I can do a nice bit of crowd work and do a bit of material, yeah. and you're not under any pressure, and you, you can... and you and you don't let the first act on until you think yeah. the room's ready and that's a really fun challenge because the room's totally cold and you yeah. but you've got time to warm them up I think I don't enjoy emceeing more than doing sets. No, no. People think I do because of the fact that I do ad-libbing. And I, I, don't get me wrong, I enjoy emceeing and I enjoy emceeing certain gigs. But with when you're doing the MC role, I think personally, I think it's like the mo- you've got the most responsibility of the whole night. Right? Yeah, you can really mess it up. <laughs> you can really take the wheels off a night. Well, we could. We're going to the night bus comedy tonight. Yeah. And you're seeing that. You could literally take the wheels off it. Literally, yeah. <laughs> the wheels are already off it. You're not expecting it to go anywhere, are you? I, I was. Oh. I was hoping. But um, is, uh, it'd be like the Playdays bus. <laughs> it's a static bus, yeah. But, uh, yeah. All the- Do you like craft beer? Um, if it's reasonably priced so no <laughs> oh, okay. uh, well we'll see if we can get your free beer it's oh amazing that's great but um but yeah no so, so yeah it's em- very sorry it's very london isn't it <laughs> oh let's let's park a bus in the car park like it, oh it's it's uh, be- very trendy <laughs> it's yeah well i think they're trying to regenerate wood green so <laughs> what, what, like abandoning like putting gigs and abandoning vehicles well, there's, like a, there's a small um opera opening in a burnt out car down the road <laughs> oh they love all that in wood green they love all that joy, yeah they love all that um but oh and there's cakes there as well during the day anyway forget about that i'm not advertising that um <laughs> no so emceeing is i think yeah for me again everyone's different but for me, the emceeing role is the most responsibility of the night. You have to... It it kind of falls a bit on you. Um, and, you you know, there's... The it's first, the best and the worst thing about it, isn't the, it? Because exactly. it's a real privilege. And when it goes well, you think... And if an, a new act comes on and he does really well, you think, oh, well, I'll help them. Yeah. But, but then, like, if, if you hit the wrong note, then yeah. you're like... Ugh. Yeah, so you've got to balance all of that. You've got to... Your, your your ego's got to go completely out the window, completely, because it's about the other acts. Yeah, And absolutely. it's about making the night the best you can possibly make it, and it's not about you and how... It's not... It shouldn't be, anyway. So... But it's also about you've got to be... You've got to be watching everything. You've got to try and work out, do I... Should I do a bit now, or should I just bring on the next act? What's, what's the energy like in the room? How's it going? How long have they got? How long have I got? Are the guests getting bored? Do they need a break? You know, just so many things to think about. And so... And also you need to be, as the MC, um, I'm sure some MCs do it differently, but generally I think you need to be like the nice one. You need to be the one who, you know, gets on with the crowd and is nice at the beginning. So before you go in. So in my set sometimes, I'm always nice, like I'm always nice. 
but the pressure the, the, they've already been warmed up by the MC and so you can get away with being slightly more abrasive yeah, whereas you exactly. can't just go on and upset them or as it t- pulls exactly. the, the, the floor out from under the right. first act you can never do that like your your role is to be everyone's friend in a way um and it is when you it is for me when I do a set as well I like to connect with people and I you know there's not that much of a difference of how I am with the audience but there's just a little bit more extra you have to think about it a little bit more what yeah. you're saying and da, 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 da. and you're on the whole night you know what I mean like sometimes you like you'll do a set and you'll be like oh, okay right okay I I can relax now but you can't relax the whole night. The whole night you're making you're you're there. So it's more energy. It's more responsibility. Um, it's a, it's ad living, but it's a it's for me it's a different type of ad living. Um, and so I think there's more pressure being the MC. So it's not like I like I just wanted like I prefer being an MC to doing my set even though I do similar things in my set it's all it's all the little stuff like like I've noticed I know some very good acts who really don't MC very well because they they don't they sort of they think oh well I've got to be funny and like the booker knows they're funny so you and the so it's not it's like and doing the dull stuff like telling them to buy tickets for next month, telling them to switch their phones off. All that stuff is it's like, it's like so, so important. Yeah. But some people are so fixated. They treat it like they're set. So they just want to go that's out there and be it. funny. And sometimes that's to the detriment of the... Yeah. Of the uh, night. But I don't like... Have you heard people say, oh, well, you don't even need to be funny as an MC? I think that's rubbish. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if I booked an MC and they weren't funny, I'd be a bit miffed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I can think, see what they're getting at. I, I think they're trying to say that there's there's other elements that are very important, like doing the rules and all the admin. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I don't think the rules are, and the admin are the most important, mainly because sometimes I forget to do it. <laughs> But no, they are important. Sorry, they are important. But they're not like... Then They shouldn't be at, at the detriment that people, like, don't realise... Like, so that they shouldn't, I don't think, break the flow of the MC. You've got to make them laugh first before you yeah, give them instructions. Yeah, I don't think you should otherwise. come on and go... It's a weird, I describe it as being an MC. It's like you've got to be someone's teacher and their best mate all at the yeah. same time. So yeah. it's a really weird balance. So, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's the most difficult job. I think um, the whole thing about being funny and things, that's probably, that's that comes maybe from the fact that, as you say, there are other elements involved. And and um, it's the thing is, the audience are often funny as an MC. You know what I mean? If you can get it out of the audience. Yeah, so the more observant you are, observant you are, the better, I think. A hundred percent. I mean, like, Again, everyone's different. So, like, people will be going, well, that's not how you do that. I'm not saying this is how to MC or anything, but I'm just saying for me is being interested. I am genuinely interested in the people there. Yeah, how gen- boring would your job be if you weren't? Could you imagine? Yeah. Like, I don't see the... I don't well, see- I'm not sure if all MCs it's- genuinely are interested in finding out it's like a huge amount of people skills, isn't it? MCing, I think. Yeah. I think, and it's no wonder that a lot of comedians have day yeah. jobs in call centres and do that kind of thing yeah. as well, because it's all the same job in many Definitely. respects. Yeah, it's about making a. For me, it's about. I should not have to say for me. Just understand that I'm talking about for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, everyone does it different. That's the point, isn't it? Like, if every MC did the yeah. same thing, like, what'd be the point of booking a different one? Like, right. it's fun that people bring different stuff isn't it yeah but for me for me the most important thing is about being in the moment 
making a connection with people that's important for my set as well mm. but but it's especially important i think when you're being an mc to make that connection with the audience almost straight away to put them at their ease and to know like we're gonna have a fun time let's all work together with this so that takes the pressure off a bit of you going oh i've got to be funny because actually as 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 a human interaction the sort of person that you are is gonna kind of bring that out of the audience anyway most of the time a lot of the time with emceeing is the audience being funny them saying something really funny and everyone will laugh and then you can kind of run with that and then if that dies down or you might have you might you might be obviously can add to it yourself and da, 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 da. then someone else saying something funny you know and then you're building up this kind of energy this rapport between the audience i think that to me is what emceeing is about yeah, it's a, so tonight, just going back to tonight, tonight where I'm seeing, oh, yeah. we're doing a gig on a bus. Yeah. And this must be your local gig because yeah. you, you can walk to it. Is there much mm. going on? I've never been to Wood Green before. Oh, and I don't, no, it's not, it's not. Is there a tourist attraction oh. here? There's a, a view cinema. I, oh, yeah. I don't think that's a tourist attraction. No. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, obviously the is gig is Is there stuff going on? Are there, are there gigs going on? Is it an up and coming place or what's it, what's it like? Is it the fact that. It's a bit unusual having a gig on a bus, isn't it? That it shows is. that something's happening. Well, they've, I feel like they've been trying to regenerate Wood Green for years now, and they haven't yet managed mm. it. But um, hopefully this is a sign, <laughs> maybe, that it's, it is, it's, it's getting a bit niche, that the bus attracts people who are, like, local to the area, but they want, like, something different on a Sunday night um, and it's and it is a good atmosphere I mean I hope yeah I hope it's good tonight like after this yeah <laughs> like, you, you know, never know trouble is it only, that's the gamble with comedy isn't it yeah and that's could... that's that's the the worst and the best thing about it like if it was always like if you want to do the same thing every night you, you become an actor and do a play I guess yeah I mean I think it's about you know I mean when you're doing sets obviously the more I think the more consistent it's about consistency often the more consistent you are, the better. And I think it's the same with emceeing, um, you know. But I think if you're, you know, I I think that, yeah, that's the thing. But that's what I love about live comedy because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> you just never, you just never know. And it's often, it's often great. Like it's often something, it can be something little, like it can be something tiny, like, Oh, I don't know what happened last week. Someone was just eating pesto and pasta randomly, like on the bus. How I don't, rude! <laughs> I know how rude. So, like, we you can talk about that, and you know, it's just like little things that you just you never know what's going to happen, and that's why I love live comedy. Um, but yeah, obviously. You, it can have its disadvantages as well. well. I'm excited about it. I just hope they've left the handbrake on. Well, like, it's... definitely. <laughs> There's no wheels on it. Oh, Phew. So uh, I hope I'm a bit worried. I don't know what you're expecting. It's it's a bus, but it's downstairs is a converted bar, so that's where you get. I think I've seen one at the All Points Eats Festival in Victoria Park. Like I think the, I think I've seen at... converted buses. Yeah, it's like the one in Edinburgh. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I know Andy Field who did his Edinburgh show in there oh, in 2014. There, there uh, trouble is he's too tall, so he had a oh. he had a, a sore neck for doing a month like a sort of funny angle because he's yeah. he's six foot five or something ridiculous. Yeah, how tall are you? Uh just over six foot. 
It's just above average height oh, for a man. I'm pathetically have, proud of that. No, you're very good. Am I gonna have fun? You're gonna have trouble because you'll have to. Yeah, you'll have to stoop down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to stoop down. But it's Maria, it's Maria Charter's gig, and she's quite petite. Yeah, so she's, that's why she took it. She's filtering out all the yeah. all the tall acts. It's no, yeah, short that's... person's revenge. <laughs> that's what they should call the gig. That's why she took the gig. Basically, she was like, "I'm looking for someone with a, a low roof." Uh, and that just that bingo that satisfied the criteria so um yeah no uh you can sit down if you want like you can kind of it will be funny you can kind of sit on the table a bit and slouch do you know what i love when i even now i like to sit at the front of a double decker bus but i did it i'd got the number 17 bus from my house to the train station in reading and i sat at the front and oh. if no one's looking i pretend to drive uh, i used to love that when i was when i was a kid and i used to go on the bus with my mum i used to get so angry if somebody else was sitting in that seat because i wanted that seat and i'd say to my mum what's the point it's not even driving and there'd be this oh. businessman being miserable and not driving oh, bless you well we we'll put you in the front tonight well uh, but you can't the stage is kind of at the back we make the stage at the back of a fade so oh that's unconventional oh well actually yeah. no that is traditional for the cool kids to go at the back of the bus isn't it and Yes, yeah, so we'll put you at the front. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to have so much fun. I'm childishly excited about the fact it's a, it's a bus. You're, you're, you'll be one of the cool kids. The, a bus powered on real ale and uh, um, hipster vapours and It'll things. It'll be great. It'll be great. It's not actually my gig, it's Maria's gig, but I just... Um, I just MC it. I just host it. Take it over. <laughs> yeah, I've just taken over. No, no, it's her gig. She's, she's in charge. Uh, but we'd sort of like do it together and like... I, I I host it and we get good acts on. Do they can do new material, whatever? It's, oh, well, it's we good. better make our way there yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. What's got to um? Go in five what, what have you? Well, I don't know when this is going to be released, but do okay. you do you have anything coming up? Do you have a website where people can find you or, oh, or a Twitter? Yeah. yeah, I I I've got my Instagram. I put regular clips up mm. of me doing ridiculous things. Um, <laughs> Nicole Harris comedy. Um. I'm on Facebook as well, Nicole Harris Comedian. I don't use that as much. Or you could go on YouTube. Oh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, please. Thanks very much. Thank you. (laughs) This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. That was Nicole Harris. Always good to talk to her. Straight after that, we we left her flat and went to perform at Maria Shahata's Comedy Bus, where uh, uh, Nicole Harris is resident MC. And uh, what a fun gig that was. You are on the top deck of a double-decker bus, which is a a wonderful novelty. Um, Although... It doesn't move anywhere, which was a bit disappointed. I thought that was going to be fun, uh, although I did have visions of myself falling over. Um, and it is kind of like uh, a bus going nowhere is a perfect metaphor for life in London in 2019. Um, but yeah, that that was good. Now, I thought I'd tell you another quick story about an audience that wasn't quite as attentive. I, I did a, a comedy club in uh, Bromley by Bow in London, and... It, I got there and I was I was mega impressed because it was a it was a pub but it was a separate room it had a proper stage proper lighting rig and everything and sound system uh, because it was obviously used for uh, rock, live rock bands and a lot of live music goes on at, the, at this pub. Um, one problem with this venue and at this I realised halfway through my set and when we had a bit of an incident um, our room was the only point of access. Um, for the ladies' toilets. Uh, so we were interrupted 
periodically by very drunk women uh, <laughs> crashing around trying desperately to find the loo of course i was incredibly helpful to them and uh, well you can see the video of that on uh, at uh, well it's look at rodders.com or just type rodders into to youtube i think the title is comedian gets interrupted by woman finding the toilet uh, <laughs> it was just absolutely brilliant it was peter merriman who was emceeing and he gets up on stage after i sort of had toilet related altercations and he and he sort of warned everyone about talking to the talking to the uh, the, the women as they come in because he went oh they're very very drunk i was like oh sorry <laughs> i don't mind i'll talk to anyone me uh right so let me just tell you quickly what's happening at the stand and deliver comedy club i'm really excited i'm always excited about the show but i'm particularly excited about june the 13th I will be emceeing, which is always a terrific fun. And our headliner is none other than Trevor Locke. He's been on the TV. He used to be on the radio with Russell Brand. He's uh, very, very unique and um, absolutely incredible. Or as uh, the Time Out magazine call him, hilarious. And I'd agree. And we've got support from Martin Durchov and Darcy Silver will be there as well, plus a few more acts. That's on the 13th of June. Uh, go find tickets now. Uh, look up uh, the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club on Facebook. Click Big Blue Book Now button. I'll just give a few highlights of my own gig diary, because uh, I don't really know when I'll be able to upload this podcast. I'll do them like way in advance. Uh, on the 29th of June, I'll be at Cafe Mode on Endell Street in Covent Garden. Uh, the first show is at 815 and then there is a late show as well. I'll be doing both of them. So if you don't understand my jokes in the first show, uh, you can have another go uh, in, the, in, in the second show and do some revision uh, during the, the gap between the shows. Um, so, yeah, uh, that, that'll be fun. Uh, as always, I list all these gigs at rodders.com, R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S. Right, that's just about it. Then I reckon I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up and then walk over to where I work. And, uh, and edit this podcast together. Uh, so this has been the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with me, Rodders, and I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>